Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. Uh, we're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we come to the fourth servant song, and we're going to see an even clearer depiction of the nature of the coming servant Messiah and the way that he will serve God and serve us. And so we're going to be in Isaiah 52, the final verses of Isaiah 52, which are the prologue to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, we're going to split into two parts, so we'll deal with the first part today and up to verse six and the next part tomorrow. And Scott, if you would read for us, that would be wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is not the Davidic hero uh, Messiah that they had been waiting for. It was not the hero that they expected. I mean, they had been waiting for a Davidic Messiah, but not like this. In verse two, we're told he, he just, there's just thing after thing that, that says he does not match their expectations. First of all, in verse two, he, there's nothing beautiful or majestic about him. And it just gets worse from there. In verse three, it says he's despised and rejected. He knows the deepest grief and he's rejected by the very people that he came to deliver, to save. In verse four, people, uh, it said that the people would see, would think that he was being punished by God. Um, but it was our sorrows and burdens that he was carrying. Verse five, he's pierced, he's crushed for our sins. He's beaten and whipped so we can be healed. We will reject this servant we will consider him punished by God, Isaiah is saying. And this is true. He is being punished by God, it says, but not for his own sins. Rather, he's being punished for ours. And I have to think that when they were hearing this passage, um, that one of the clearest images in their mind of this kind of servant was something that they rehearsed every year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, there was during the, the rituals of that day, the, the, you know, the, the highest of the high holy days, uh, there was an Azazel, a, a scapegoat, and the priest would lay his hands upon this Azazel, um, symbolically, ritualistically transferring the sins of all the people upon this goat. And then they would um, lead this animal out of the city. And, and because it was like all their sins on this one animal, they would often hire a Gentile, a non-Jew, to take this uh, animal out of the city where they would often uh, lead it off of a cliff just to make sure that it would it would have died and would not wander back into the city carrying the sins of the people. And it's not unlike, this image is not unlike 
the the Gentiles, the Romans, leading Jesus out of the city in order to be killed as he carries away the sins of the people. And so this suffering servant is, is like this Azazel and is like Jesus, the scapegoat carrying our sins. And I, I just have to you know, say here that there are many theories of the atonement. You'll hear the, theologians and pastors debate about different theories of the atonement. And each theory is, is like a, an attempt to understand how God is able to address our sins without rejecting us, the ones who sin. And I don't think that any one theory of the atonement is complete. I think each one of them is a viewpoint. Um, but this is one of the theories, this idea that God's servant would be a substitute for us. Uh, and the early Christians seemed to understand it this way as well. Jesus, in the events leading up to the crucifixion, he was he was beaten and disfigured, just like Isaiah says here. He was pierced for our sins, literally, just like Isaiah says. And God lays upon him the punishment that we deserve and by his wounds where we are healed. And I have to say, you know, admit that this is an idea that offends, it, it made sense to Jewish sensibilities of that time, but it, it certainly offends, I think, our modern sensibilities, this idea that an innocent person could suffer on behalf of a guilty one. But I, I like to think of it as this way, is that Isaiah here is describing something that would happen, even if we don't necessarily understand what's happening. Like, you know, if, if I'm watching a complicated surgery, I can see it happening even if I don't understand all the mechanics of what is going on. But this is a description of how God, not the only description, but it is a description of how God will carry away our sin, how he will address our sin without rejecting us. And as I think about this, I think one thing that I find important to understand and I encourage other people to understand is that this depiction demonstrates for us that that we cannot handle our own sin, that we cannot make right the broken relationship that we have with God. And instead, um, instead of us having to pay our own debts, like uh, the parable, many of the parables that Jesus told, instead of us being able to pay our own debts, God would have to pay our debts for us through the servant that God would send. And so when Jesus says, you know, it is finished, the debt has been paid. That is God's offer to us. In fact, that that phrase, it is finished, the most common uh, occurrence we have of that in, in writing from that time was at the end of uh, receipts or invoices where people would write teleteste, which is it is finished. The, the account is closed. The, the, the tra transaction is complete. The debt has been paid. There's no further payment necessary. Now, of course, I think a question that this leads us to, leads me to, is like, why would the servant go through this for us? Why would somebody, after being rejected and beaten and despised, then suffer for the very people who had rejected and despised him? Why would he do that? You know, we like to talk about unconditional love today. This is a clear depiction of un unconditional love, where we do nothing to deserve the love of the servant and of God, and yet that is exactly what we're seeing portrayed for us, those who reject him. Uh, Scott, I'm wondering what you think about this passage and, and especially how you uh, apply this in your or receive this in your own spiritual life. Oh, John, there is uh, there is just so much here. Uh, I appreciate what you said. I think I think, you know, we talked about different views of atonement of what happens in the death of Jesus. Um, I, I do feel like there's an underlying idea of uh substitution or exchange that happens in a lot of those different ones. So that's something I kind of hold on to. I love how you brought out this, this idea of how this passage shows us particularly, right? If the right to see this is Christ in this, 
as Christ for us. It's this notion of unconditional love that comes from Christ. Um, so I'm gonna, uh, I wanna, I wanna touch on two things myself here. Uh, the second one is just gonna be like unapologetically nerdy. Uh, my email is on the website if you wanna follow up because I just don't know how to say it. Uh, just to say it in this span of time, I'm just gonna have to just jump into it and, and let some things, leave some things hanging out there. Um, okay, so first is this, you have the, the, the uh, images of Christ as, uh, as this figure as uh, is kind of unseemly, right? Um, what, what, what is the language of the passage says? Uh, nothing beautiful or majestic about him. Nothing beautiful. Verse two. Yeah. Nothing beautiful or majestic about him. So this just should be very clear to us. Any uh, Christian art that we see around us that pictures Jesus as handsome, that's just got to go and, uh, and, and realize who that Jesus was probably not not very pretty person. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that point because we're just in really deep waters, and I think we need a little bit of levity uh, with some of these things. The other point, and this is where I'm just going to give you what I think is, man, in a, in a really a passage that just invites a lot of different interpretation. I'm going to look at this uh, from a kind of a church theological interpretation of this passage. And I think my, my goal here is actually to say, like, we, this, is, this can be very helpful. Like, theology, doctrine can be good things for reading the text. I actually think they're essential. But let's go right to the heart of the matter. The last passage, uh, verse 6, that we read in chapter 53, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. John, I really do love this way you brought out this, like, the servants, the way the servant is for the people. That speaks to the love of the servant. One of the, you, you mentioned earlier, kind of the, the challenges of this passage. And I think one of the things we, rec- we have to reckon with, uh, we wrestle with in reading a passage like this, is thinking about the servant and also thinking about the servant as a servant of God. How does God view us looking at this passage? And here's where I think a church theological interpretation can help us. Um, here's what I mean by that. Uh, we can look at this passage, right? This is kind of like we deserve a certain punishment, a debt that needs to be paid. The servant pays that punishment, that pays that debt for us, bears that kind of punishment to make us right with God. That leaves us with this idea. We kind of have to look at it. How then does God really view us? How does God really view Jesus? It can be like a bit unnerving. Does God truly love me? But here's, I think, something that can be helpful. It's an established piece of church doctrine that there are not three, but one will in God. Not three wills, but one will in God. So if that's true, then this servant, if this servant really belongs to the Godhead, then he enters into this world through a, a joint uh, or like a shared or like a, a single decision of God. Not three wills in God, but one will of God. Now, that might seem kind of like technical and theological, but I think it's also very important and kind of beautiful because it can help us see this as something that God does that is a good plan for this reason, right? God, Christ is not forced into doing this. He freely does this as the will of God entering into a world that's bent on violence, that's going to respond to his goodness with the kinds of things that we see in this passage, and that his love for us goes so far that he's willing to to do the things that John mentioned, to show us the love of God. If that's true, if there's only one will of God, and Christ is manifesting that will of God, then everything that you said, John, earlier about Christ pertains to who God is for us, who the one Jesus called Father is for us. So can we just like kind of encapsulate this in kind of like a short way? Like what 
what makes this, what happens here good? And I think it's a good plan, right? Because it's a, it's a single decision of God to come into our world and to show us who God is for us. This is not something Christ is forced to do, but like the Gospel of John says, Christ offers up his life by his very own will. Um, if that's true, right, if this church theological reading is true, you could just as easily read the passage, uh, verse 6, that says the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Theologically, doctrinally, you can read that by saying the Lord took upon in God's own very self the sin of us all. That is a legitimate reading based on church theological doctrine. So uh, the devotional point for me here, John, is, is really just this, right? We're, we're wrestling with a, with, a, with, a, with a passage that raises all types of uh, really interesting things, really edifying things, really challenging things. And there's a possibility of reading this and seeing deep down, is God good, right? Is God good in my prayer life, in those moments where I am, in, where I am just open and raw before God? It is important to know that God loves me. It also happens to be true. <laughs> and I think that in Christ and this kind of uh, reading this in the community of the faithful, we can have a light to see that, that God is for us and that God is good. Yeah, I think that's it. We bring up a really important point. And as uh, Paul writes in, in Romans, for instance, he says, this is how we know what love is, that while we were still enemies of God, that Christ died for us, right? Very few people will die even for a good person. How many people will die for an enemy? Well, that's the kind of love that God has, that even if we're enemies, God would die for us. And so that's the kind of love of that the creator and redeemer has for us. And so I think you bring up a great point with all of that. Uh, with that, uh, uh, Scott, we're running out of time. I'm wondering if you would be willing to close us in prayer. Gracious God, Help us to see Christ today. Help us to know Christ through the Spirit. And in the face of Christ, in the face of Jesus, help us to be reminded that you are good, that you are for us, and that in your heart of hearts, there is a love that changes us and that calls us to love this world the same. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Scott, thank you for being with us. And I encourage everyone to join us again tomorrow as we finish this fourth servant song. Today, we looked at the, um, the rejection of the humiliation of this servant, but tomorrow we'll look at the vindication of this servant by God. So go in peace. Peace. Okay.